You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Rika Söderlund, the CMO at Katana. Sales cycles are getting longer due to the economy. I think that's a given. Everybody says the same thing. But I don't think that that equals, well, we need to create more content to that sales cycle. It's getting cold outside and we are back with the Sassiest podcast. And uh, well... Do you feel warm inside, Daniel? I am uh, warm inside, warm outside, because you know me, Thomas. You always joke with me that I have multiple layers, always. (laughs) A multi-layered person, and uh, happy to work with you. Yeah. But today we are back with another episode. Um, We will take a look at what's happening next year when it comes to budgeting. But before we go into the the topic of the day, is there anything about next year that makes you excited, Daniel? The entire year excites me a lot. And, you know, uh, believe it or not, uh, we actually have uh, a game plan for the full year. Yeah. And, of course, there's some flexibility in that year. We might add or remove certain elements. But, obviously, we kickstart the year with our CEO kickoff in January, which is always exciting, where we bring together all our CEOs for a full day of workshops, debate, discussions, knowledge sharing. So More than a hundred of them. More than a hundred of them. So if you're listening to this and you feel like, wait a minute, I'm not invited to that, there is a reason for that because you haven't either applied to the CEO network or you've completely missed out on something, but you still have a chance. So if you're a B2B SaaS CEO, 2 million euros in ARR or more, you're welcome to send in your application so you can join that kickoff in January. I think another thing that really excites us all here is our flagship event in April, Thomas Sassiest. It's just, you know, it's in April, but it feels like it's not too far out. No, it's not. And uh, ticket sales has been open for, well, I don't know, when this airs almost a month, I think, and we are starting to get the, a really strong speaker rosters and we have some amazing partners as well that you will meet there. And uh, we will double down on the social activities for next year. We know that they have been really appreciated. We, we want it to be a community event when you come and you sort of get to know people for real. And we think that the social elements uh, that we have of doing different activities and sports and and just meeting up in various ways before the actual event uh, starts is a great way of doing that so head over to sassiest 2024 to read more about the event and make sure to get your hands on those early bird tickets that are available until the end of december but with that uh, i think we should definitely take another look at 2024 and how you set up your marketing budget so join us today we are super happy to have rika söderlund the cmo at katana here as a guest in the sassiest podcast so warm welcome to you rika thank you happy to be here it's great to have you here and i I was just telling thomas here i was uh, freezing my butt off today we have negative six degrees here 
but I bet it's probably even worse where you sit. I'm based in Finland. So yes, I, I win with my minus 15 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you, what do you do to keep warm on a Monday? Oh, the layers and layers is an obvious one, <laughs> but it's coffee, not just Mondays, every single morning, at least three cups. That's my secret ingredient. Ah, big coffee lover. I yes. think one of us, I'm not going to say who is also a big uh, coffee lover on this <laughs> side of that. So besides coffee, what else can you tell us about yourself? Like, who is Rika? Yeah, so uh, CMO at Katana currently. I've been there now for about a year. Before that, spent four years at a Finnish growth company called Smartly, uh, which uh, we grew from about 30 million to 120 million throughout that tenure. Uh, so a, kind of a typical growth company uh, story there. But then before that, I actually come from the more traditional side of marketing agency background, both in advertising agencies and content PR agencies, and done all those kind of traditional consumer brands from food to cosmetics to fashion and all the traditional sides of marketing then as well. All right. Sounds like an exciting career. But uh, what do you do when you're not working? <laughs> oh, that's a, actually a tough one. Uh, <laughs> I have a family, so spending a lot of time, of course, uh, with my son. Teenager is almost like a full-time job to have yeah. in addition to being a CMO. Uh, so all kinds of fun things with him. Video games. Really into Civilization, Civilization Six recently. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, so going back to the company you work for, what can you tell us about Katana? Katana is an inventory management software. So we help companies, especially types of companies that have multiple points of sale, think e-commerce, hybrid POS, selling maybe from your food truck or a, a pop-up shop, and you need to keep your inventory in check in multiple locations, real time, all the time. Um, and we come from a more manufacturing background, so it might not just be the complexity of selling your products out, but actually sourcing your products, manufacturing your products. So having inventory out, having inventory in, in real time. That's what Katana helps small and medium-sized businesses with. Okay. And these businesses, like, where are they based? Are there, like, particular vertical sectors that are greater customers for you? Like, what's your ICP? Yeah. Uh, we're industry agnostic, interestingly enough. It is uh, fairly agnostic from, like, food and beverage to fashion uh, to heavy machinery, car parts, like everything you can imagine, mostly English speaking countries. So that's a, a definition in the ICP, but it's more about the size of the company that really defines our ICP. So not too small of a company that you don't really need complex software to actually manage your inventory, but you're also not an enterprise software where you would then choose something like SAP or Oracle, like a really robust on-premise suite for inventory management. Right. And just to get uh, things in perspective here, could you tell us a little bit about the, the size of the operation, starting with uh, ARR, your growth, um, and the number of customers? Yeah, we're uh, about 150 people currently based in Tallinn, and we service uh, about 1,600 customers currently, growing at about 30 40% year over year. And the ARR is around 7 okay. million currently. Okay. 
And uh, what markets do you serve uh, internationally? You mentioned English speaking, but yeah. uh, where do you have feet on the ground? Yeah, the commercial team sits in Canada. So North America, of course, is a huge growth area for us. And already most of our business comes from North America. Okay. But then Europe and somewhat in Australia as well. Okay, quite international then. Yes. Um And how are you funded? Are you VC funded or yeah. is it? VC funded. We've uh, raised over 50 million in funding. Latest round in 22. Okay. Okay. Very exciting. So uh, I think that brings us to the to the main topic of today. And it's a topic that's like timing is perfect for this episode. We want to discuss how the CMO should think about allocating and building her budget for 2024 like it's the macro trends are a little bit crazy nobody really knows what's going to happen so we wanted to get your perspective on this we know you've built a few of these throughout the years so looking at your budget for 2024 how have you approached building the marketing budget is there a guiding principle that you've deployed to do this work yeah it's uh, definitely a relevant topic right now, literally this week, going through that with the management team and our board. It's um, the first time ever in my career that, I'm get, that I get to approach it proactively. What I mean by that is building a budget that is based on our growth goals and not the other way around, meaning that I'm giving a number and then I need to kind of match the number and the growth goals with I don't know, creativity That's, I guess, what <laughs> is the expectation then. Um, so in that sense, I'm approaching it very differently than I have ever before. So it's a very new experience for me as well. But it's also a very rewarding experience because it really comes down to a mathematical exercise. This is my cost per lead. This is how many leads I need to actually reach our pipeline goals because I know what our conversion rates throughout the pipeline to closed one deals are. And then back engineer from that to what is it that I need in order to reach those growth goals. Yeah. All right. That makes a lot of sense. It's like in, to me, I'm simplifying now, but calculating backwards will get to you, to where you need to be. And then you can have a discussion in the C-level group saying like, hey, as a team, if you want to get there, this is what we need to invest here rather than you fighting for it from the beginning. Exactly. I think that's the that's the most important piece, the conversation in the C level of how we want to get there or rather where do we want to get. Right. I think that's the most important principle before you even start to budget, have that conversation of what are we looking for in 2024? Are we going for growth or I bet a lot of companies are pivoting to profitability. Exactly. That's a different marketing operation. Those are then different principles and tactics tactics that you need to apply. Are we changing our ICP, our target persona? Like what is the strategy? And start from there when you then enter the budget process. Yeah. And uh, what are the main changes in uh, the budget here for 2024 if you compare to the previous years, would you say? I think I am um, putting definitely more emphasis on quality over quantity and putting resources into those conversion rates in the funnel, not just growing top of funnel, not just pushing growth at any cost. Uh, although I am also not like heavily trying to push us into the profitability realm either. So finding that balance of how effectively 
can you drive growth in 24? That's kind of my key challenge. And that's where I'm making changes as well. Okay. And what, what channels do you see um, support qualitative uh, leads or, or or that compared to the quantitative, would you say? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm actually approaching it more from the content perspective rather than channel perspective. I think okay. we have the channels fairly well nailed down. We know we're reaching our ICP. We know we're getting our target persona into the funnel. Now we need to make sure that they convert as well. So it's not a channel selection challenge for me. It's more, how do I address that target persona? How do I get them to engage with us? Obviously, they're not shopping right now at this minute. So Mm. how do I make sure I am present when they are then ready to make a purchase decision? Yeah. Generally speaking, do you see that when you speak to your peers in the industry and so on? From your perspective, do you see that there are certain new trends that apply to you and your budgets that maybe you didn't have to consider previously, generally speaking? Yeah. I think we're all challenged by the fact that algorithms don't work as well as they used to. So whether it's Google, Facebook, or LinkedIn, we all kind of got used to seeing better results easier. And... uh, that is kind of forcing us to do more experiments and also figuring out what is a acceptable level now because it's probably not we're never going to be in the numbers that we were during covid like the the cost per lead the cost per click that we saw in 2020 2021 not coming back so figuring out what is a good level is uh forcing us to make changes so but it's is it more that you're still going to bet on you know spending some money with google it's just that you have to spend more you just have to accept that there's a different price point or do you feel that that channel is no longer efficient and we're going to drop it i'm definitely spending on google and i'm spending on linkedin not spending more but focusing those incremental resources into better conversion so putting more money in nurturing lifecycle marketing, email marketing, and making sure I have content. So not just generating leads, but seeing if I can convert them better throughout the funnel. Gotcha. Yeah. And you mentioned before here with a qualitative approach that uh, you wanted to sort of make better, more targeted content, I guess. So, I mean, how would you go about that? Is that a service that you, you buy or do you put more time and effort internally or... Are you more targeted? Could you tell us a little bit more about your strategy around this? I am in the extremely lucky position that I have an internal researcher within Katana who does market research, user research, and customer research. So I have a source that gives me insights constantly on what is it that our target persona cares about and what is it that our product actually solves for our customers. So combining the market insight with the product offering, with the help of that qualitative research that I get from in-house, has been an incredible addition to developing content in our marketing efforts. The other resource I have in-house, which is a luxury as well, is an extremely uh, qualified data analytics team. So I have, again, really good quality product data I can see what those 1,600 SMB companies are actually doing in our platform, which gives me 
interesting data points that are relevant to their peers, of course, that I can then again use in our marketing efforts. So research and analytics, something I know is not uh, that common, unfortunately, (laughs) but is a huge, huge benefit for a marketing team. Well, so you got the data, you know what um, what type of information people are interested in, but how do you then put that to market? What kind of things are you putting out there? Are, is it white papers, reports, webinars, or what have you found works the best? Yeah, this year we've put a lot of focus in white papers and reports, kind of lead generation content, okay. and we're pivoting that next year probably to more engagement content, things like webinars, making sure that we have a little bit more kind of middle funnel approach in our content as well, not so much long form, but perhaps more targeted and more engaging for the audience that we already have. All right. And do you also work with... Um account-based marketing here, also displaying content for specific customers, or do you have a more wide approach? We have a wider approach, and there's a very specific reason for that. I don't do ABM because the ACV of Katana is around 5,000. Okay. It's not an enterprise product. It's an SMB product. If the ACV was higher, obviously ABM or events or things like that would be a part of the strategy. But I need to be extremely focused on kind of the, what tactics I choose to make sure that I reach the goals within the kind of financial parameters that Katana is functioning in. All right. Yeah. And also, since you're working on an international market, uh, do you do you work very localized with with these initiatives, or do you sort of have more? You mentioned you target the the English speaking sort of countries. Do you have one one fits all approach there? Yeah, I I currently do. I, that's kind of my topic of the week, trying to figure out if it is working or if I should localize more. Because like for a Finn, might seem that all English speaking markets are the same. Yeah, they're definitely not. US is very different from UK. Is very different from Australia. So it. It might be that I need to pivot that a little bit next year because I am seeing clearly better results in the U.S. because my one size fits all is kind of U.S. first approach. Okay, but that doesn't then necessarily resonate in UK, in Australia, in Singapore, in other English speaking markets. Yeah, I have a couple of questions relating uh, to how you build your budgeting so to say and it's we've already touched upon it a little bit there is you know the top of funnel there is in funnel exercise there's different channels and so on but what are the buckets if you look at the here's the entire marketing budget which are the different buckets that fill the 100 percent yeah i think i have a fairly traditional division there so there's paid efforts paid channels Mm -hmm. then i have content separated i take agency costs as a separate cost as well just because i want to constantly evaluate if it makes sense to outsource or have certain roles in-house and i actually divide agencies into two as well because some agencies drive performance some are more brand advertised like not immediate roi type of agencies Um, And the final bucket is product marketing, so often overlooked, and that's where also then research development type of costs live. I do allocate budget also to things like messaging testing and making sure that our positioning is right, Mm -hmm. that 
of course, is a, a big part of a company that's in our size, kind of still finding that optimal go-to-market motion that we're able to then also scale aggressively. Yeah. So what about MarTech or operations or so? Will you need to invest a lot in new technology in order to sort of fulfill the goals for next year? That's a really good question. I was looking at my budget. My MarTech spend is below 10% of my overall budget, which was a kind of a red flag for me. I was like, hmm, am I under investing? <laughs> because the rule of thumb is that it should be around 10%. And I think I need to go back and see if I've overlooked some area that I might need to invest in to ensure those growth goals. So if, if the MarTech budget is 10%, how do you distribute the other 90% among the pillars you mentioned here? Well, our main strategy for next year is growth. Yep. So 60% goes to growth initiatives and about 30% goes then to brand content design, which also plays a big part in the improving conversion rates throughout the funnel piece. Yeah. And then tell us a little bit, loaded question, I know, but we still would like to know, how do you assess throughout the year here, the impact of your marketing spend? Like, because you have this plan and how do you make sure that, yeah, we're on plan, we're not on plan? What are the checkpoints you have? Yeah, we have agreed on the uh, key KPIs with the management team, not just for marketing, actually, but for every function that are the leading indicators throughout the year to assess if we are on track to achieve our annual goals. For marketing, they are those conversion rates, so lead to MQL, MQL to SQL, SQL to close, but also cost per lead. Mm -hmm. And because we are in that kind of growth-focused phase, then those would be my key metrics. If the goals from a company level were different, I'd probably look at different KPIs as well. Do you also, as a marketing team, is some of your compensation, the team's performance, measured and linked to ARR? Uh, for sure, the compensation isn't, but performance, yes, for for sure, is uh, is linked to ARR as well. We uh, always measure all efforts with revenue. That's why it's not even it's not a leading indicator. It's the ultimate ultimate goal of all of uh, all of our efforts. But it's also a shared goal. It's not something that any one individual or any one individual's performance would be dependent on. That's ultimately me. I'm the only individual that is solely responsible for ARR growth as well. I'm also curious, do you budget for scenarios? Is there like a main budget and then there is like a crisis budget and a budget if we're doing fantastically well? Yes. You are? <laughs> when, yes. <laughs> when, at, I guess, you know, when do those kick in? I, I guess it's self-explanatory, but when when do you feel that, okay, we need to start looking at scenario number two here now? Yeah, that's uh, linked to those leading indicators that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. If we see that I'm lagging in one of those or many of those leading indicators, then we need to look at pivoting to, we don't call it a crisis budget, let's just call it a reduced version. <laughs> right. Or if we're seeing kind of a massively better improvement, improvement uh, in performance, then of course, also being able to pivot to spending more to capitalize on those good metrics. Efficiency budget. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Uh, and uh, how does the competitive landscape influence your budget? That's a good question. Um, it's not so much the competitive landscape, I would say. It's more the 
state of the economy and how that impacts our customers. Mm. What competitors are doing doesn't really play a big role in budgeting. It's really more trying to estimate and guesstimate where our customers are and what is realistic to assume. Like You can have the best possible marketing operation with the best possible efficiency metrics, but still, if the economy is poor, we are targeting SMB companies. There's a limit to what they can spend uh, at any given year. So that plays a bigger role to make sure that we're being realistic in our estimations. Are you building a SaaS business? Achieving ISO 27001 or SOC 2 compliance can help you win bigger deals, enter new markets, and deepen trust with your customers. But it can also cost you real time and money. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work needed to get and stay compliant. Get audit ready in weeks instead of months and save up to 85% of associated cost. Over 6,000 fast-growing companies use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. Sassiest listeners get 20% off Vanta at Vanta.com slash Sassiest. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash Sassiest. So are you also looking into sort of new tools or technology? We mentioned a little bit about MarTech, but, you know, everyone is talking about AI. So Mm -hmm. do you do any investment in AI for, yeah, whatever you use it for. Yeah, we we do use quite a bit of AI already. And that might be the reason why I'm not doing any new investment because I've invested this year. Okay. Uh, we are using AI quite a bit, in, in especially in the content production realm. It's a co-pilot more than anything. Yeah. So it's not something that would run independently, but it is a really good co-pilot for content producers, SEO team, even designers, obviously marketing operations. So it's uh, it's kind of snuck its way into multiple areas of marketing already. However, it's not a big investment, actually. Mm. We find that like, ChatGPT is actually a really good tool, and a lot of the more specialized niche tools don't tend to perform as well. Okay. And then we kind of pivot back to ChatGPT over and over again, the enterprise version is a very good one okay yeah cool i mean yeah we i think we're going to see a lot of things here in the we've already seen obviously uh, how how marketing is using ai but it's it's like you say it's not at least in my opinion super well defined yet people resort to i'm going to ask chat gpt to clean this up and make it sound more english or whatever it is and give me some input but it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen down the road here. Exactly. I don't think it's going to make a massive change yet in 24. I think 25 might be the year where we see bigger changes in that realm. Like you said, it's more about the literally the copy piece of marketing. Yeah. But the design is it's catching up. So when it can have a bigger impact also on the design aspect, in marketing, yeah. that's when it also starts to make sense to do bigger investments in AI. Yeah. How do you think about your budget in terms of uh, teams and people and skill set that you need? You know, is there a particular skill set that you think going forward every marketing team needs to invest here? Operations. Marketing operations analytics. Well, I we at Katana we've uh, we have revenue operations. I am a big believer in kind of that holistic view of revenue generation. So not marketing specific, sales specific, or CS specific, but rather looking at it as a whole. 
And when that's working really well, when you have really smart people there that can connect the dots between different revenue teams, then they can also provide the most invaluable insight to the marketing team, uh, which just makes every other role in the team perform better. Yeah. Very interesting. I'm curious personally here, like, so if you would have a marketing operations team, now you have a revenue operations teams, but if you if you would say like, these are the three things I need you to report into me on a regular basis, what would you need from that team? Uh, pipeline analytics would be the biggest one, like understanding the size of the pipeline and how well it is converting, because that then leads directly to audience and targeting. Are we reaching the right audience? Are Is our messaging resonating in that audience? And the third piece probably around website analytics, just because website is the gateway to our product very tangibly. It is, it's not an e-commerce site, but it's almost there when you're in B2B SaaS. So conversion on the website and how you can improve that would definitely be a third. Yeah. One thing we haven't uh, touched upon so far is customers and customer referral programs and ambassadors you know some of those exercises can be rather a rather you know light footprint some of them can be very expensive and pricey like what's your thinking there like is that something you guys are betting on not really no it's at the back of my head but it's a conscious choice that i'm not betting on it currently kind of like i'm disregarding abm for the moment i'm not looking at events yeah. this is another area that i'm not investing in because we are still relatively small yeah we need to make sure we put focus in what we do and for now that's really in the more digital demand generation realm, when we have that working, then it's time to expand to the next area and kind of build and build upon different marketing motions that can then accumulate results. But I think it's really important to invest in one thing first, rather than do three things kind of haphazardly at the same time. Absolutely. And what else don't you do? Um, <laughs> well, I think those are the key key things when you when you look at B2B SaaS or marketing, you usually run into ABM a lot. Uh community is probably something that a lot of people are looking into, not on our roadmap mm. right now. It will be for sure one day, but it's a conscious choice that it's not in 24. Uh and yeah, then trade shows, events, again, those work really well. I've done a lot of them, but it's just not relevant to our company strategy right now and then localization not yet but maybe not yet maybe <laughs> one day we'll we'll see you have a lot of people screaming for german and, and french content <laughs> and such exactly japanese when we see the demand then we'll do it <laughs> yeah yeah of course what about i'm asking for a friend here <laughs> What about the frequency of communication here? So you 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 will bet a lot of content, and you know we have probably newsletters. You you push people out via or content out via blogs and other things. Like, what's a good frequency here? How much can a prospect take? Yeah, that's a really good question. And if you find the answer, please tell me as well. <laughs> I uh... we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think this is just uh, my take on the problem that it's changing Mm. because sales cycles are getting longer due to the economy. I think that's a given. Everybody says the same thing. But I don't think that that equals, well, we need to create more content 
to that sales cycle, uh, it does seem that it doesn't actually, like you don't actually get return of investment by creating more and more and more content for that longer sales cycle. There's a point where you just don't think, that enough is enough mm. and there's just no point in trying to engage more. And I think the number of touch points is staying roughly the same, even though the sales cycle is getting longer. All right. Gotcha. So what part of your new initiatives or the budget you have for next year are you the most excited about? Mm. Maybe you don't know will this work or not, but you feel that this could really be something that takes off. It's really those content pieces for the customer kind of life cycle, the journey, because that's where brand plays a role. And I think that's just always the most overlooked area in B2B marketing in general, but especially in SaaS marketing. And when times are rough, when customers are really choosy about which software they they buy, over and over again, they choose the one that has the strongest brand. And with brand, I mean trustworthiness, credibility. Yeah. It, it, it's not just marketing. It's the entire company that has to come together to build that brand. And that's you, that what you can communicate with content. You can tell the story of an entire company, not just tell marketing stories, but product stories yeah. with really good branded content. So that's what I'm excited about because that's also the hardest part. That's if you succeed in that. Yeah you can see massive returns of investment. Okay. And I was curious because that's something that we have experienced ourselves. Let's assume and hope that everything is going according to plan for, for your team, the other disciplines in the organization, for the entire organization. It's, it's all on budget. But then suddenly you have an epiphany. You have a brilliant idea halfway into the year here. But it's going to cost more money. It's not in anybody's budget. But you feel like we got to make this bet. How do you approach it? How do you build this case? Let's say it's a sizable investment and bring it to the CEO and the C-level team halfway through the exercise. It's like, we got to do this. Yeah, I think it's the approach is exactly the same as it is right now. It doesn't change if it's budgeting season officially or not. And I, that's the beauty of growth companies as well. When there is opportunity to invest and you can show a strong business case for why you should invest. It doesn't matter if it's budgeting time or not. Obviously, yes, it then probably means we need to cut back on some other area, but that's what we do constantly anyway. We evaluate which initiatives, which go-to-market motions, which product launches are bringing the best return of investment, and we budget accordingly. So in that sense, while it is budget season right now, yeah. I don't think it's never not a budget season right. when you're working in a growth company. Yeah, I really like that answer. Uh, also, especially because you did indicate that at the end of the day, it's still a zero-sum game. You might have to sacrifice something. It's not just more, more, more. And I think that's maybe no offense to anybody here, but that has been the world we've been living in. Money was free for a long time, and it was just more, 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 more experience. I'm going to try. I'm going to add this. And now I think we're entering the phase of it's a zero-sum game. If you're going to add something else, you might have to reduce another program. That's very true. And that I guess that's even more true in marketing because it's kind of easy-ish to sow some 
incremental uh, benefit with marketing activities. But now it really becomes a question of, well, how much more can you bring with this initiative compared to others? So it's not just that more is enough. You need to actually compare your initiatives to make those choices. All right. Right. So what would be your top three tips for CMOs, VP marketing that are sitting with their budget now? What should you think about... um, yeah, doing this exercise, 2024. Um, I would really start. Well, actually, I would actually start if uh, if we're working in a if a B2B SaaS company like I am, funded by VCs. I would really, really start with what is the goal of the investors mm. before even I go into well, what is the like, the company goals and company strategy, and only then start to do the budgeting exercise then be really strict with the tactics that you choose. Like I said, I, I it's even more important what you don't do yeah. than what you actually then decide to do. But after that, it also becomes very much a, a team exercise. So don't go about it alone. Engage your team, engage your peers, engage other CMOs in the space, uh, and don't try to solve it alone because there are nuggets of information in everyone's head and you definitely don't know everything yourself so ask for help really good tips really good tips thank thank you so much for that and we're also curious about your future and in this case katana's future so like if we would be to speak in let's say 12 to 18 months what great new things would you tell us like where is the business then yeah we have gone up market in 12 to 18 months so not the smallest of small companies anymore, but as the product has developed and the product has more complex features, I, as a CMO, am able to now target a whole new audience of mid-market, which has a kind of a different, different needs, different pain points, and that also requires a different approach from marketing. So that's going to be my next challenge to figure out how to engage that audience. Okay, and is there anything you need? in terms of engaging that audience any type of support we always ask this because there's a great community listening in here what can people help you with i think one of the things that i personally need to get better at is understanding really complex saas software as a marketer i have the privilege of using fairly simple point solutions like marketing is the space where you have a gazillion different tools for just one thing but inventory management is actually incredibly complicated. It's kind of like a CRM. You can do so many things with it that understanding the complexity of the software becomes crucial for a marketer because you're the one who needs to distill that into a simple message that resonates with your target audience. Gotcha, gotcha. And is there anybody in particular that inspires you? Like if we would say, Rika he or she is coming on the podcast and you'd be like, oh, guys, tell me when the episode is dropping because I need to listen to that. Who would that person be? Oh, (laughs) this is such a boring answer, but I can't help it. I am such a huge Seth Godin fan. (laughs) Uh, He is churning out a new book every single year and they just get better and better. It's incredible how someone can keep up that consistency because it's kind of easy to do, like have that one really good idea, really good catchphrase, be on the top for one year, but he's doing it year after year after year for decades. That's insane to me. So 
Seth Godin, for sure. Even before AI. <laughs> Even before AI, <laughs> exactly. I was going to do once a month. <laughs> All right. Uh, there you go. I don't know if Seth is listening to our podcast but of course he is of, of course, course he is, is. That, that's why he gets all his great ideas yes. yeah exactly seth if you are please you know hit us up you know where to find us so we can have a chit chat with you <laughs> R- rika this this was great thank you so much for for sharing uh your your approach and, and your thinking about how to plan for for the budget for next year uh i'm sure plenty of us have learned something new today definitely much appreciated all the best of success to you now and your team in 2024. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, see you around. So Daniel, what's your takeaway from this episode? I think I spotted, uh, or actually I should rephrase that. She probably reconfirmed a trend I think I'm spotting out there. She referred to a little bit, you know, quantity versus uh, quality in terms of creating pipeline and so on. But she also did say that They're going to spend money and energy also, not just on top of funnel, but also in funnel. And she didn't specifically say, you know, how much on each and so on. But looking around at some of the conversations we've had, we see that more and more marketing teams are taking a bigger grip and a bigger stand on, call it in funnel type of support and marketing. And I think we'll, we'll see more of that, like, you know, to accelerate the pipelines because Sales cycles are longer, and it's one thing to bring in the leads, but we also need to make sure that we can accelerate them through the pipe as much as possible, as fast as possible. And marketing, I think, can definitely do a good job there. That's my big takeaway for today, Thomas. What about you? My big takeaway is that maybe more important than what you do is what you don't do. So uh, make sure that you make a number of bets and focus really on them instead of you know doing a little bit of that and and well basically not put your best effort in, in anything and uh, and also you know as she talked about since they are targeting these SME companies they are going wide they are going internationally they don't do ABM and so on and they seem to have a sort of solid strategy on, on paid marketing and now with with content and so on that has worked good for them so far growing 30-40% and uh, going to be interesting to follow Katana moving forward well I think this was a very rewarding episode and uh, really happy to talk about with Riki today and you that listened to this episode really happy to have you with us another time and expect there to be content throughout the holidays and so on and really looking forward to a 2024 together with you in the Celsius community There will be a lot of fun stuff happening moving forward. So see you around.